Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following is from a Zoom session broadcast from Australia on October 2nd, 2021. It's called Integrity, the Source for Inner Quiet. I invite you to join us for any of the upcoming monthly Zoom sessions, which are held at two different times on the first weekend of each month to accommodate you wherever you are. I've been thinking a lot about qualities such as virtue and commitment to one's ideals, integrity, and what it takes to hold those ideals, to live by those ideals, those virtues, what it takes when you might be living in a context where those kinds of qualities seem to be fading, as is the case in our world to a great degree. And I noticed that the people I greatly admire and always have admired were those who could hold to those ideals when it cost them, when it was very costly. It's one thing to have those ideals and think you're basically a virtuous person when it doesn't cost you anything. Sure. And we've had such lucky lives, most of us, that we could have those kinds of ideals and get by. But there are lots of people uh, through time, through history, and some today, who hold those, those qualities and it costs them everything. It might cost them their jobs, their income, their homes, their friends, the place they come from, maybe their country, and sometimes their lives. So one wonders, what is it, what does it take inside to hold to those qualities? What is it? What, are, what is the strength? And often people are called brave in those contexts. We, we call them courageous. We admire them for their courage. But I propose there's another aspect, and that is they can't live with themselves. They simply can't live with themselves if they compromise what they feel to be true. And that it's a lesser harm to them to stand up even if they're going against the tide, and even if they lose everything, it's still a lesser loss than living with a tearing of the soul. So even though on the one hand it is brave, but it's also choiceless for many people who do that, and that's what I've been told a lot in my time as a journalist when I, I met many people who were heroic in my view. But in getting to know them, what I discovered is they felt they had no choice. And perhaps we each know times when we've, we've had to let go of something that was, it was hard to let go of. But we had no choice because compromise was too costly, was worse. So how do we come also to the recognition that you're in compromise? And I propose that when we get quiet, in your deepest moments, and I recommend living in those kinds of reflections and moments a lot in your lives, there's just some kind of whispering, some knowing. And if it's not getting through to you in your daytime life, it might start coming to you in your dreams. You might track some kind of message that keeps showing up in different ways in your dreams. 
But if your waking consciousness is allowing the deep dive frequently in the day, or as much as you can afford in terms of time, usually the message is there as well, very clearly. We're living in a time when these kinds of virtues, as I said, are not as valued as they used to be. Even in my lifetime, I have seen a very significant change. Huge, actually. So can you bear to be perhaps out of step with the onslaught of just a kind of mad swirl of the world? Can you choose a different way and be a misfit? But I always like to say that you may be a misfit in one type of crowd, but you will fit in in another type of crowd. And for me, the type of crowd I would rather fit in with, although I fail quite miserably at this, but the type of crowd that I would like to fit in with is the ones who stay true, despite it being really, really, really hard. Well, um, you talked about sweet surrender. And yeah. I think on that day, I didn't exactly know what that is. Um, you know, maybe I have an idea of it now. Mm, because you know, usually I'm a person who's planning everything, every little thing in my life. Um, I try to have everything under my control. Um, but I think because of these COVID times, I learned that I cannot control anything. Everything can change in a second, and I well, there's no control. And um, maybe because of this, I I stopped making plans. I stopped having um, any expectations or hopes. And the thing is that. After this decision, so many great and beautiful things came to me or to us by just being, by just being open for them to come. And yeah, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Just yeah. And, yes. Yeah. When you're in non-resistance, right? A non-resistance to what is. You do your best to participate and make things nice and alleviate suffering where you can and all of those things. But like you say, so much is out of our control. And that is certainly the lesson that we have had for the last year and a half or more, more than a year and a half. I think most everyone has gotten pretty flexible <laughs> through this phase. <laughs> and there's so much more peace. And yeah, lovely. Surrender is sweet. Yeah, it's sweet. Well, and for me, it's great that we, we both go this, I say, spiritual way, what is not a way, but it's just a discovery of uh, who we are. And sometimes we go the same way, sometimes we go a little bit different, and still we are on the same searching. And for me, uh, sometimes, um, in the last years, there was this hope of a splash, you know, of a big awakening, and this mm -hmm. didn't happen. But what happened was a slow deepening. And so sometimes I'm sitting here, and, and uh, it's kind of being in love with myself. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's very, uh, yeah, it's very nice. Yeah, but it goes slowly. Sometimes uh, the life takes you out of this, and then I, I prepare now two exhibitions and have to make with designers the books for that, and it's a lot of work and takes me out sometimes. But I, I try to just be relaxed and let things come, and you know, yep. this is very good. And what you said, these deep moments, these are the most important ones for me when when I when I just be and don't need anything it's just just being happy without any reason you know? mm -hmm. yes and i love that just this slow deepening that's that's exactly it yeah and being receptive to 
that actually? Yeah, well, I what I discovered in the last years that when I have deep experience and it goes away, it's just a uh, remembering of something that happened in the past. It's not important for me now. Exactly. It's always only the now and the deepening in the now that's, that's important for me, not some experience. Maybe they were great, but then they are gone. Yes. It's definitely a um, conceptual, I want to say the word mistake, because it is actually a mistake to think that you're going to, you're hoping to recreate some aha moment, some flash of insight or some exalted revelation. It's an impediment to want to kind of re, relive a certain thing that already happened. So exactly what you're describing, it's a flow. It's, it's getting used to the flow, getting used to the, the river of life that you're just part of, just whooshing along. Mm. And yeah. <laughs> As I was listening to you, Catherine, little memories from my life's journey kind of popped in where I would have made significant decisions in an effort to be more authentic. And I and I'm what where I'm with now is the whole sort of peace and experience, I suppose, to a vulnerability. It's I'm really with it at the moment. Um, you know, I think in the context of the last 18 months or so and Globally, you know, and we've spoken about it many times in this um, group about the vulnerability of a global pandemic and the lack of control that was referred to just a few minutes ago as well. And and I suppose that the wanting, if you like, to be living in presence and living in the moment and being able in a way to to tolerate the vulnerability of that. Mm-hmm. is very real for me at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in lockdown in many ways, where the environment was controlled, you know, which was safe to be locked down in home, lots of limitations that were acceptable because everybody was in a similar position. Most people were in a similar position. Um, and some of us took to that better than others, I think, in terms of introversion and all the rest of it. But now it's... It, feels really challenging and and I feel incredibly vulnerable um and I, and I mean that on a on a very kind of soul level I feel vulnerable um and is that because things are opened up and you you're around human beings <laughs> yeah yeah that's part of it I think because um of the restrictions and limits we've had over the last 18 months I think a lot of the usual boundaries and usual rules are gone and who would ever have thought that we wouldn't have to be in the office at nine o'clock and leave at 5 30 for those people you know who have a schedule like that and that that would change literally overnight to working remotely and you know not having the the big brother looking at you to see if you're in on time or you're not in on time or you're doing your job or you're in your pajamas at 4 p.m you know it's it's like all of those controls Mm -hmm. you know and now we're kind of returning we're in that kind of place here in Ireland and Dublin certainly where we're there's a kind of a, a more of a return to work spaces and Honestly, it's palpable. I, I don't know if some of the people on the group who live here also have experienced this, but it's palpable, the anxiety um, that's around, the fears that are around. And it's not just to do with the exposure to COVID, mm-hmm. um, but it's more than that. It's more psychological. It's more emotional. It's more, I think, spiritual also. Uh, so I'm really kind of in that at the moment, you know, the vulnerability. And I was thinking, how can I kind of find a word to describe where I am with it and it's it's my own experience of vulnerability and what I'm also feeling from people around and I think maybe some of it also I have to be honest is to do with aging I think there's a, a kind of a vulnerability that comes with aging as well you know yeah, yeah. Um, and I know we've often talked about our parents you know and some of us have parents who are in their 90s and I'm conscious of that vulnerability and how recent times have impacted on their lives because of lack of social contact yes. uh, as well and but I'm, I'm also aware for myself of the vulnerability of aging and changing 
and and if you like a challenge with a small C. I don't mean to be sort of all sort of het up about it, but but that my own desire, I suppose a better word actually, my own desire to to live in presence, and yet at the moment how almost painful that is to 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 be in contact and touch with the vulnerability. Let it be part of it. Let it be part of your experience of presence and give yourself a pass to feel it, right? Because it might be just a very normal thing in a way. I was at dinner last night. I hadn't been out to a restaurant for quite a while. We've been on and off lockdown and uh, just haven't been to many, many restaurants for quite some time. And I was at a restaurant, a very crowded restaurant last night. And I noticed this feels odd. And I, I didn't feel entirely comfortable about it. I mean, people were sort of standing above me and talking and laughing. And I was thinking, oh, they're kind of, you know, too close. And they're sort of spraying whatever all over. And, um, you know, and I, I put myself in check about it. I just said, okay, chill out. It's no point in um, running out, <laughs> running out of the restaurant, leaving my dinner companion. <laughs> But I did note it. And so my my suggestion in these moments is, yeah, we're readapting to some things and some things are going to be probably greatly changed going forward anyway. But, you know, one, one can't be expected to just sort of snap back and be relaxed in the kind of present awareness mm-hmm. that didn't have these kinds of feelings. Mm-hmm. And I would say that, to your point about aging, definitely, there's a certain vulnerability that definitely does come. I can tell you from um, this advanced point, <laughs> just because you don't, you can't quite physically do the kinds of things that you used to do. So you have to be a little bit careful. So there is a, an inherent vulnerability. Mm. And I think too, and we've talked about it many, many times, the awareness of the global picture and I don't mean just this COVID picture, global mm-hmm. yeah. picture. That awareness too, if one is paying attention, that's playing in. Mm-hmm. So we're delicate creatures. We're sensitive creatures. Mm-hmm. And you can't be expected to, none of us really, anyone who's super sensitive, can't mm-hmm. be expected to just sort of feel robust in our present awareness and in our presence all the time. Certainly, there may be quite a few moments, and you might be very prone to those kinds of moments, given that you have spent a lot of time in silence. You you know the terrain of what it feels like to be just free in your being. Mm-hmm. But that that is not a steady state in my experience, nor do I expect it to be. So... I'd say just give yourself a pass, be as you are, and let mm-hmm. that be your experience of presence. Sometimes a little nervous, sometimes a little agitated, sometimes vulnerable, sometimes a sense of a kind of wistful, poignant missing of something that was before. Mm. And I think I absolutely and thank you. And for me, it's just good to speak it out this morning because yeah. I've been feeling it and holding it and like most of us, we don't necessarily have the the possibilities of having this type of conversation too too often with people who get it. Um, and, I, and so it's really helpful. And thank you for listening. Um, and I and I suppose also to say that I know this will take me to the next kind of space and place in the journey. It's just a, it, it feels really important right now just to. As, as you say, Catherine, just to be in it and to allow myself to be in it and to create the space where it's okay just to be in it. Yes. And, and almost, you know, look to some level of excitement about where it's going to take me to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 But Thank I you. also noted your word authenticity, which I really loved the way you mm-hmm. said it and the way you're describing that you have been devoted to living more that as that and that's yeah. another part of it is another part of authenticity is knowing that sometimes you're vulnerable just being you know just being real to yourself yeah. about who you are and how you are 
And I think, it just, and I'll finish here, just to, to for at the moment, my experience is the need to redefine that because the boundaries have all changed in the world and yeah. in where we live and where we work, the boundaries have changed. And therefore, it's not, you know, it's not as in a way straightforward to make a decision, I'm in or I'm out, because actually we don't know where the boundaries are anymore. You know, yeah. so, um, so we that's surrender. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> So nice to be here again. <laughs> yes. I was really reflecting on, I, ju I just love that thing about sweet surrender. I just, mm -hmm. I, I love that. Uh, yeah. And uh, lately I've been really reflecting about, I remember when my husband died, one is now one year and nine months ago now. And I remember you said, <clears throat> maybe someday you can come to a point where you can accept it or maybe not. I remember you said that. Um, and I think more and more these past months, I've been coming to a point where, well, I've been surrendering a lot. And sometimes, I'm not saying all the time, but I'm saying sometimes I can, I can sense I'm in a totally accept of his death. I'm not saying it's great. It's, it's terrible. It's horrible. I, I, you know, I, I hate it, but, but yeah. I'm coming back to reality. I'm saying to myself, but he is dead. That yeah. is the fact. And, and live with it, you know, not, not to be hard on myself, but just, just, just the acceptance of that is what's been happening in real life. He's dead and I'm still here. And yeah. I can just sense that I have this, huge feeling of I want to live you know I, I I'm jumping out of the closet I've been <laughs> going around in my circles at home and I've, I've, I've I had to do that that was my grief period yes and now where we're opening up I just feel like my my opening up is coming with the COVID in Denmark we're just totally open so I dance yes. all the time <laughs> I'm not yeah. saying the grief, the grief is in my heart and I just miss him a lot. But I, I also have the respect for myself and for him. He, he said to me, I want you to live, honey. I want you to go on living and dance your life. And I do it now. And I just, so I, I just, I just, I just surrender to what is. And, and uh, I feel a lot of energy so much. I can hardly sleep at night because I'm like, oh. <laughs> this is fabulous. This is music to my ears. Honestly, I yeah. mean, yeah, I so I'm so with you in this, and um, yeah, I, I I know in my own case, I think I've probably told you that there is this distinction between, and you've made it, you've made this point. One can accept the fact of it and still grieve. The yeah. grief, the grief is its own thing. It's its own yeah. weather. It has its own journey in your heart, and right. it may it may go to the last breath. I, I mean, I feel like with all the people I have loved and lost to death, I, I have some sadness, some sadness for each and some more than others, depending on their significance in my life. Mm. But I do have profound acceptance. And I think I might have told you on the day that I heard my brother had died and my brother I was very close to young, my youngest full-blooded brother. I have two half-brothers, but he was my youngest full-brother. And I had functioned pretty much as his mother. I was 12 years older, and I had really functioned as a mother in his, in his life. So it was, it was both a brother and sort of a son. And it was a sudden death. The one part of the grief that I was relieved of was that I wasn't fighting the fact of it. Mm. Mm. that I accepted the fact of it somehow yeah. as soon as I heard the words it was like wow my brother's gone yeah and, and yet yeah, the grief it's 19 years and yeah. um, if I think about my brother or I have a memory or you know I can feel I can feel tears coming to my eyes yeah. I know so, what you mean yeah so it's and not that it's, it's not disappearing. It's just I feel like it's 
is learning to live in my heart. Yes, yes. The love I still have for him now. I'm starting to cry, but it's yes, sure. It's just, it's just, it's, it's in there, and it's, it's okay. Yeah. And I think I've said to you before, there's also an experience of the space around the right. grief bigger and bigger. So the grief doesn't even have to really diminish. It's the sense of your own being starts getting larger and larger as exactly. a result in part of that grief, actually. Yeah, yeah. it has transformed you. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And, and, and when I go out and I dance and I meet people, it's like I feel like I'm, I'm a different person, but in, in a good way. Yeah. And that's, I just feel so authentic. I just, I just <laughs> go out in life because what else is there to do? You know, it's, I'm me. <laughs> Take it or leave it. <laughs> uh-huh. Beautiful. So I, I just really sense what you're saying about all that. It's so, so relieving to talk to someone who really, really deeply understands. Mm. Oh, it's beautiful to see you, my dear. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I just wanted to take us back to a minute to your opening thoughts because it it's something that I've been um, thinking a lot about and and was writing about that last night because I like like everybody in the world, I've made some big big choices choices for change because the cost of not doing that has been like I've, I haven't, when I'm not authentic, I find that I get, sometimes it's really clear, I get sick and yeah. I don't operate really well. So really big, clear messages. And then I think, oh, well, I must do that new form of something, you know, read that book or go and see that therapist or whatever. But you know what? Often I've had to really get quiet and really just be with myself and just be with what's happening. And and so many times it's because I'm really not living the authentic life. I really, I've tried to move every which way, but actually getting quiet, it comes quite loud mm-hmm. and it might start as a whisper, but there I go. I, and I get a really big wow message if I'm not living my um, most authentic life. And I've got to say, sometimes it's super annoying because <laughs> <laughs> right but the alternative is worse <laughs> the alternative is worse that's all I wanted to say that you know sometimes, <laughs> like, yeah. I wish I could say it's amazingly because once I make the change it's all great blah 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 yep but actually it does come at a, a big price sometimes yep I, I don't want it any other way but I'm just saying sometimes the price can be quite lonely as well and the good news here is that one gets habituated in getting the message quicker. And even though you know it's going to be, this is going to be kind of a pain in the ass <laughs> to deal with, but I'm going to have to do it. You don't drag out the pain. You see, okay, I, I'm not going to get away with my inner wise voice is not going to let me get away with sliding on this one. And I'm going to just have to buck up and and make whatever change or make whatever adjustment so that one returns to quiet one returns to quiet yeah in buddhism there's a teaching and it said that the buddha taught morality not only for it being more harmless as a way of being but also for one's own inner quiet So in other words, being authentic, being ethical, being true to yourself, being true to your soul. And Shakespeare said, to thine own self be true. And it must follow as the ninth of day, thou canst not be false to anyone. He said any man, but we'll change it slightly. And yeah, I've always loved that understanding that morality is not just for everybody else it's not just for the harmlessness of of living in the world but one cannot experience true meditation without an ethical basis because something is agitating and so you get quiet and the agitation is noticeable so another part of this another way to understand this is that you stay aligned with your own integrity so that you have inner calm right and you begin to see there's nothing that's more important than that. 
Hi, nice to see everybody. Nice to see you. I wanted to ask you to follow up on what you just said, that inner calm or inner peace is kind of the, the greatest goal. You know, we... I said, yeah, nothing is more I'm important. I'm not sure if I, I'm, I'm, I'm correctly paraphrasing, but um, because for me, life is compromise. Mm. I mean, everything is compromise. Mm. We have well, to, get, to get something. Now, I, I understand that there are those people who, who are through their own personal conviction you know they become like the irresistible force against the immovable object yeah of two opposing forces and and nothing's going to give and and something has to happen yeah and the drama of the situation but you know artistically everything i do is a compromise how do you mean nothing is purely exactly as i want it to be for a conductor of an orchestra, nothing is, is purely as he wants it to be. Mm-hmm. For all of us creating together, it's not, in our, it's not in our image, it's not in our idea that we come to an end result. Mm-hmm. And every end result is different from the one before. But in terms of compromise, what I'm talking about is compromising of integrity. Have you ever read the Bhagavad Gita by chance? I have not. I'm sure you've had some Hare Krishnas try to give it to you at the airport in the old days. (laughs) Um, But the Bhagavad Gita is an amazing text, actually. And I won't, you know, it's it's a profoundly complex story. But here's Prince Arjuna on the battlefield with Lord Krishna. And, and Arjuna does not want to do his duty. He, he, it's awful what he's having to do. But he's having this conversation with Krishna in which Krishna is basically delivering the message that this is your dharma. This is what you, this is where you will find your silence. Now, on the one hand, you could say it looks like compromise, but on the other hand, it's, it's what gave him the most peace. So when you say, yes, you're striving for a kind of excellence in your music, and it takes, it takes a lot out of you to do it, that is also in service to your own quiet inside. You want it, your, your sole mission there is to do it, an excellent job. Now, the, then the question is, okay, there are nights probably when you're off, when it wasn't good, <laughs> when you knew you messed up. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it never has happened to you, but anyway. <laughs> but anyway, then also, then also is the time to really go to quiet and acceptance and surrender. Okay, that's what happened. That's the fact of it. I agree with you that there there are two things we're talking about. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, one is sort of the personal level where can I live with what I've done? You yeah. know, whether whether you're a racing car driver or a doctor, a teacher, anyone doing some some active thing or even a writer or or someone in a quiet um a okay. parent, a parent, yeah. Parent, I mean, you you always have to ask yourself: Have I done my best? Have I lived up to the best that I can be in this thing? But maybe what I'm talking about is is then if I don't do my best, if if I've for some reason come short, I can't live with that. I really have a hard time. But it's really what happens with the group and having to go other ways with other people. We have to compromise some ideal that we hold. And that's not. All right, I, do, I want to just jump in here and hopefully this 
reflection will give you some relief. It's fair to say, I didn't do my best. Because often we judge ourselves about what best is from the vantage point of now versus the moment that we were in that other situation. Because it's possible you were doing your best at that moment with what you were working with. You might have been tired. You might have been distracted. You might have not quite felt onto your, on your game. There might have been some kind of external reality that was in, impinging. So many times we unfairly judge our actions in the past with the wisdom and the wherewithal that we have in the present. So another way to see it is we were doing our best at the time with what we had, even though from this vantage point, it doesn't look up to the standard. Just as you have learned so many things through life about life and love and and what you value, I'm sure that has changed and deepened over time. So you wouldn't judge your actions and your level of wisdom from when you were 25 or 30 or even 45 from this vantage point where there's a whole lot more wisdom, a lot more life under the belt and a lot more quiet moments that, that provide insight. So yeah, I appreciate someone striving for excellence and you would have had to do that to be in the position you're in, in your musical career. We all have had, you know, anyone who has developed a, a career or a skill has had to put in the time, but then, to really be gentle about vulnerability and about aging. It's it's also very interesting. You might be getting a glimpse that one has a certain incredible skill that you've developed over time. And then the aging factor comes along and it might inhibit your ability to manifest that skill in ways that you easily used to and now maybe not as much. I think that you, you really are opening the door to, to so many wonderful reflections by your comments. Um, I can't think of the, the word zand or it's a, a, sand, a, sand clock, a sand clock. Um, a, I forget what you call it. A sundial? A sundial? No, sand is running out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, right. And I really perceive that. The sand is running out of the clock. Mm-hmm. I feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, there there is that. I I think you're absolutely right. That's very important. The other thing that you're you're bringing me to is that it all has to do with a a, a subjective personal opinion or or evaluation, and that it's so hard in any way to to be objective about one's own creation. Because we, we really live through our audience, you know, mm-hmm. and how far my perception of what I've done is from a reality that everyone else seems to take as the standard. You know, it's so, it's a very, very strange thing, perception in this yes. instance. Yes, yes. Right. But you know, as an artist, when the music is just playing through you, you know the difference when it's truly just that and how it feels, how exhilarating that feels. So I'm going to propose to you that the more you sit in the quiet, that there's a, there's a fine balance between being hard on yourself, too hard on yourself, and just wanting to be the instrument to offer the most beautiful thing you can offer but not uh, stress about how it's going to be coming out too much. Just let that go. Then, then the music will, I think, come through you in a free way more frequently. You know, I've known a lot of artists over the years, and a lot of people, a lot of people I've known did incredible great art without anybody knowing about it or watching or they just they just did it i mean take leonard you know take leonard for instance leonard had reams reams and reams and reams of unpublished poems they never made it 
into any publication, not, not a song, nothing. His last girlfriend, who's also a friend of mine, Anjani Thomas, she at one point went to him and said, do you mind if I take a few of these that you're not doing anything with and make an album out of, out of them, which she did. It's called Blue Alert. It's really beautiful, by the way. I really recommend it. It's called Blue Alert. It's kind of a very soft, jazzy album. When he, he just let her do that because he's just he just had piles of them because for him, it was just about the process. You know, he was just doing the process of he just liked fooling around. He had incredible sketches and, you know, he was it was just that it was coming through him. So he, it was like he had to have an outlet for it somewhere. So anyway, I think you, you've probably had the experience that the music plays on its own sometimes, right, through you. Well, I can tell you that um, if, you're, uh, if you're performing and you find yourself not with the rest of the ensemble, it means that the, the, the music is not flowing through you. Yes, right, exactly. So, yeah. so if, if you find yourself in that, in that situation, you have to get present really fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a blessing, actually. That's a real blessing. Yeah. Stay present. But your point is, is true. I mean, art doesn't need an audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, at night, they turn the lights off in the Louvre. And it doesn't mean that, that La Gioconda is any less of a masterpiece. <laughs> it's still all through the night, a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. But, but the artist does need an audience. Art itself needs no audience, but the artist does. I don't know if that's always true, but maybe in some cases, for sure. Um, but I'm going to propose that, you know, I mean, of course, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to have someone appreciate one's work. That's great. But I'm just saying, I think it's possible also to really feel that the gift is flowing through you. Right. And, and you don't even take possession of it. It's like you just were a conduit momentarily. I'm having a memory of something. Chambayas once told me, she said that, you know, people are always thanking me for the gift of my voice. And she said, but I'm experiencing a gift that's coming through me. I'm, I'm the recipient of a gift. So she's basically saying people are mis conceiving where that gift is coming from. They think it's from her. And she's saying, no, I'm, I'm channeling the gift. And it's just, I'm, that's what I'm trying to get at is that we are, we're gifted in different ways. Like I get a little shy when, when people speak to me about something they perceive as a gift that I have, because I never feel that I'm really doing it. Do you know what I mean? I just feel, I don't really feel that I own it or that I, you know, I, I made it. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you're, you're that fish that doesn't realize that it's swimming in water. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. I I kind of had an an echo when I heard you talk about compromise and especially around values. And the last job I was in, I recall there was an issue which for me was one of integrity and to do with money and the setup of a charity. It was just my own perception. There was a kind of infringement of what was authentic for me. And I don't know if it Shakespeare said something about the tangled web that we weave, but someone great did. And um, I think it was Shakespeare. Yeah. And, and I, I, I experienced this web because I delayed on taking action. I, I did my best. I did a little look. How about a little mediation? Yeah, but, yeah, I kind of did a few little strategies, but I didn't take a decisive this this isn't for me now because I mean effectively I was kind of suffering. I I didn't I didn't see it like that at the time, but but I was I felt felt reduced because of it. And also I think what I just wanted to comment on was I think I wasn't helping anyone around me either. I yeah. thought I was 
no, not exactly a martyr, but I thought I was being a bit great to try and kind of hold things together and match up this this little tremor of I'm not quite sure about this with, but there's a greater good. I got so tangled and there's a kind of purity, uh, even if it is difficult and has consequences, in in owning and speaking clearly about values, which of course in turn means getting quiet enough to see them in the first place. Yes. Um, but I, I'm just, I just, I guess I just wanted to share the the tangled web that can be woven when I am not maybe courageous enough or trusting enough to uphold values that I hold dear in a situation. Yeah, that's exactly how it works, is that the the knots keep tightening yes. themselves and becoming more and more complicated the more it goes. And that's why the good news about it is that you start to see, oh, a knot is forming. So rather than it, rather than let it get, you know, to be 10 knots and 20 knots all mashed together, such that it becomes harder and harder to unravel, you take some kind of action earlier on, whatever that happens to be. Sometimes it's as simple as having to withdraw from a circumstance. But sometimes it means speaking up or some other kind of action that has to be done. And, you know, again, to the point of quiet, it's been my experience many, many, many times where I've been in circumstances, just like you're describing, something's off, something's mm-hmm. off, and I know it, but I'm, I'm, for whatever reasons, and there can be myriad reasons, I'm holding my tongue, I'm letting it go, I'm, you know, I'm doing all these, I'm dancing around, and there comes a point where the words have to be spoken. And so I, all that I had sort of resisted in dread about that moment, suddenly I know, okay, the words have to be spoken or I have to withdraw, whichever might it be. But as soon as the words are spoken, something gets quiet. Like it's like there's, there's just this whoosh of relief actually you know, and things, and, and, and the alignment of one's, I'm using the word soul tonight, of course, I'm using it metaphorically, that the soul relaxes, that you don't feel there's a war inside of you any longer. And when, as time goes, and you get more used to that process, you go there quicker. Yeah, I, I love what you were saying about about surrender and the sweetness of surrender. And when you were talking about it, accepting a situation sort of parallel with living in a grief of a loss. So, you know, not, not sitting right in the centre of that grief, but being able to hold that while also coming to terms with it. And that's it's really interesting to me because I, I feel like the, the journey of giving birth and going through such a huge, you know, transformation physically and mentally and, you know, it's mm-hmm. a rite of passage really. And all of a sudden, you know, as, as whatever pans out in that, in that experience, thankfully mine was very positive, but all of a sudden there was, there was a kind of grief because it was over, you oh. know, that, that part of the journey was gone. And I, I get this little one from it. So there's a pretty big um, prize at the end, but it was a really interesting and completely overwhelming experience of wow, I've, I've that that's gone. That journey that there was something there that it felt like grief. It felt like a real letting go and a sadness that it was over, which yeah, is really interesting. It's a really interesting explanation because I've actually never understood postpartum grief before. Mm. I never understood really what was going on I I wondered if it's is it just hormonal or whatever but your description of the journey being over like the whole you know your this thing is growing inside of your body (laughs) it's like wow Yeah. yeah yeah and I guess it's like any stage of our lives when you have a a moment or a line in the sand that creates a punctuation point yeah you know it creates a comma that chapter in your life and sometimes we're not aware of where where those lines are 
to take sure. a moment to pause or breathe before the next chapter of the journey. But this has been a very big one and it's, you know, it, it's thrilling and it's exciting. There's all the joy and the love surrounding it. But at the same time, there's definitely a, there's a saying goodbye to the previous chapter. And that, that definitely feels like a, a thing that has been a bit tricky to say goodbye to, actually. Wow, that's very interesting. Yeah. As with so many, so many journeys that were so powerful in in themselves. And even though one finds oneself on a different type of journey, maybe equally as powerful, there is there is a saying goodbye. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Long time no see. Oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. Yeah, are you be. still are you still an acupuncturist in London? No, I've just retired. Mm. Yeah, I've got a lot of time on my hands. About six months ago I lost my partner of twenty-one years. Oh boy. And um it's been quite difficult moving out of that or moving moving forward in any way whatsoever. I remember Many, many years ago, when you were in London, 1998, 1999, I don't know, it was the last century anyway, you told a story about a young man, a brahmachari, going into the forests in India, seeking out this this famous sage who was reputedly enlightened and uh, above all the cares and problems and worries of the world, and he came across him. Um, in the middle of a forest clearing, and he was weeping over a dead deer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You remember this story? And the young man said, um, but you're the great sage X, Y, Z, or whatever your name is. You know, you're beyond all this. You know all of this is illusion. The sage who was on his knees weeping over this dead deer said, yes, and I raised this deer. Yes. When it was young, and now it's been killed. And he said, it is all illusion, but this is super illusion. Yeah, it's a conflating of two stories, by the way. The other one is Marpa, the Tibetan teacher Marpa, who had, of course, taught his students, you know, this is illusion, meaning the world is ephemeral. It's, you know, it's impermanent. Things just come and go and (laughs) disappear forever and so on. And his son was killed and he was he was weeping over his son and his students came to him and said but master you you've always told us this is this world is an illusion and he said and the loss of a son is a supra illusion but yes there's the both stories have the same exact ending it's true i mean when you're in that space of silence everything on the relative level has an illusory quality about it because it comes and goes mm-hmm. but when you lose someone as fundamental as your life partner. Yes. It is super illusion and it's on a different level altogether. And I just wondered, you know, if you you had anything to say about that because ultimately everything is a mystery. Mm -hmm. But this whole experience has brought home to me. We know absolutely nothing about the mystery. Right. And some some deepest, darkest aspect of the mystery is the pain and the bewilderment and the loneliness and the loss of losing someone who's that close to you. And it is super illusion. And uh, yeah. And it, it it's awful. You know, it's hard. It's awful. It's it's a heartbreak. It takes your breath away. And And also, there may come a moment when you bow and you say, yes, this happened. This is the fact of it. And you live in a coexisting awareness with the grief, just as I do with all the grief I've known, uh, just as so many people I've known who have gone through this very tough, tough, tough journey. And especially when you have a longtime partner of 21 years, your life has woven together so 
you know, it's, it's different than losing a friend that no matter how close the friend was, they didn't live with you. It wasn't like your life was woven together. Exactly. So it's, it's not just the loss of the person. It's certainly that's huge. It's also saying goodbye to that way of life. So it's, it's a compound type of loss. And also, of course, the memories from the probably from the time you wake up, there's an infusion of what is missing. But I would propose to you, not because I, I presume to tell you how that it'll go, just that so many people I've spoken with have, like, it seems impossible from that vantage point of the freshness of that grief that it could calm down or that life would ever have any sparkle to it again or that you'd ever would feel like dancing again. Like it's just, everything's just ash in your mouth, you know, just like, ugh, just an emptiness and a kind of dullness and, and a pain. But I have seen it over and over and over again, that even if the grief stays the same size in yourself, what you are gets bigger around it. The grief is actually forcing the expansion. That's a lovely way of putting it. Yeah. Thank you for your, for your words. I mean, I, I already sense that. I already sense that because it dissolves structures in your life on so many levels and in so many ways because you know, your partner has been in on all these levels. Right. And there's, no, there's now a vacancy there. There's now a hole mm. there, the whole way down. Mm-hmm. Psyche. I, I, I sense that there's a whole sort of shifting and changing going on yeah um can i can i just because i have so many good memories of seeing you in london in the 90s and in god's house we had a retreat and you drove me back to london afterward that's right (laughs) yeah and i I picked you up from the airport on one occasion and took you up to somebody's house where you were staying yeah yeah, I've got a lot of beautiful memories about that. I, I particularly love a story. Can I tell another story you told? Sure. Because <laughs> in a sense, they're signposts. They're, they're real, you know, they're aspects of your teaching that have stayed with me over the last quarter century. And it was a story when you and your friend were up in Ladakh. Yes, yes. And the bed bugs? The bed bugs. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, he gave you his sleeping bag because yours was crawling with bed bugs and you weren't getting any sleep at night. And, and we uh, stopped sleeping. I was, I was crying, actually. It was like the third night and I was, I was in the night and I was crying. And we were in Ladakh. There was nowhere to wash stuff. There was no water. Our whole, we were just staying in the Ladakhi family's house. And the entire house only had a few buckets of water per day. So you couldn't possibly wash a sleeping bag. We could barely get our own selves washed with sponge bath. And so, yeah, I was crying in my sleeping bag. And he just said, come on, I'm going to swap. We're going to swap bags. And I can't believe I let him, but I did. <laughs> and, yeah. That was and, um, yeah, and the next morning... He had obviously been bitten to hell, like yeah. all your by all your bed bugs, but he was okay. Yeah. And, yeah. And you said, Well, how come you're coping with it? And I couldn't. And I think he replied something like, Yeah, sure, the bed bugs gave me a hard time, but they're not the only game in town. Yeah. That's they're right. not the only show in town. So, you know, yeah. he had that expanded awareness. He was he was holding yeah. the discomfort in a larger space. Exactly. Yes, yes, indeed. He was. Yeah. So I remember that, you know, I, I find that helps me when, you know, sort of I'm all contracted around my own particular loss. Right. Yeah. It is just waiting to be rediscovered. I would, I would also offer just one other thing, and that is to say that not everybody gets to have a great love and a great life partner of 21 years. A lot of people, most people maybe don't, (laughs) because a lot of people, even though they might have been with someone a long, long time, maybe it wasn't that great. And a lot of people never got to have that in the first place. So to really go as much as you can to gratitude and just say how wonderful it was to have that. 
And you you will always have had that. You will always have that experience that has enriched your life and and is again part of what you are in your own expansion, right? Someone who really knew how to love and how to be a partner. Thank you. Welcome. This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private phone session and view upcoming events, such as our monthly Zoom sessions. I want to deeply thank our donors for your support and encourage our other regular listeners to consider making either a one-time or a recurring donation. We would also be grateful for a review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you're listening. Till next time.